Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care End of Life Podcast. My name's Bob Madar, and in today's episode, we're going to spend our time talking with Kayla, a hospice aide, to get her perspective on our essential question. What can the experiences of patients near the end of their lives and the people who care for them and love them tell us about what is important in living and dying? I interviewed Kayla at the Lumina offices in a sunny little room on a beautiful spring day, and I asked her what her role was and how she came to work in end-of-life care. I'm a hospice aide, so I work directly with our patients doing mostly personal cares and other little odds and ends that they sometimes need help with. What what brought you to this? What what what, what brought you to being an aide in, in hospice? Yeah, so um, I was having coffee with one of my friends a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. she was in a CNA program and telling me about how much she enjoyed it. And she was really encouraging me to, to give it a try. She said, it's three months, take the program. If you don't like it, you can leave it there. But don't try it, you know, don't give up on it without trying. Mm-hmm. So I agreed, and um, I did the CNA program up in the Seattle area where I'm from, and I took it, and I realized I really enjoyed working, especially with elderly people. And um, I was looking for a job down in Oregon because I wanted to relocate down here. And I found a job posting on Craigslist looking for a private caregiver to work odd shifts kind of here here and then to check in on one man's mother because he lived in a different state. And he just wanted me to mm-hmm. go and check on her twice a day, see how she was doing, make sure she had food. Um, and he didn't tell me that she was on hospice. I had no idea how to take care of someone who was dying. No idea at all. Um, (laughs) And I think I was like 19. (laughs) Yeah, I was 18 or 19 at the time. So I really, you know, I'd never really experienced Mm -hmm. a death before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I agreed to this job and I got there and it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be because about two months into it, she took a really hard decline. Mm -hmm. Woke up one morning. I couldn't get her out of bed. She She could no longer ambulate. So I called um, the Benton hospice nurse and he came over and he helped me get her into a hospital bed in a a little bit better of an area. And at that point I had been working maybe four hours a day going over and just seeing her and talking with her, Mm -hmm. helping her to the bathroom. Um, And at that point they said, well, she needs 24 hour care. And her son at the time was kind of, he was distant, not only as far as physically, but, you know, emotionally, Mm -hmm. you could tell there was some estrangement there. Um, and he did not want to pay for 24 hour care. Um, he didn't want to get me much help. I think there was two other caregivers to watch her all, you know, not watch her, but be with her Mm -hmm. all the time Mm because she was no longer safe to be alone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I worked, oh gosh, I spent 16 plus hours most days with her and I was a full-time student. So I was doing all of my classwork online. And I was staying with this woman, you know, wow. I'd come at like six in the morning, leave at like 10 o'clock at night. Someone would relieve me sometimes for like two hours in the middle of the day. So I could go home and kind of catch up on schoolwork and get something to eat and come back. But she was such a special woman in my life. I was holding her hand during her final moments. And that was really special because her family couldn't get here in time. Um, it It was really, you know, I didn't want her to be alone. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to think that all of that time I spent with her was, you know, she would have been alone. Mm-hmm. Who would have come to check on her? Who would have stayed with her to just, 
you know, hold her hand, that, that gentle touch mm-hmm. can really mm-hmm. make a difference. And after that, after she passed away, I went home and I looked at my boyfriend and I told him, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. And I need to advance myself so I can help more. So a question I have is, is, is that what do you think for you is the greatest challenge of working in hospice? I think the hardest part for me is watching other people grieve or watching someone grieve over their own life. Um, you know, when you're with other people grieving, it's different than seeing someone, like seeing your patient's children or spouse or themselves grieve over their life. And it's never, there's never the right thing to say. So no matter how hard you can try, what I feel helps the best is just coming in and listening. Listen to the things that they're upset about or it could be there. They're wanting to know about change in condition, which unfortunately I can't say too much about due to um, healthcare laws, but just listening to someone. You know, they might be upset that they went to the grocery store and they were out of milk, but they just want someone to talk to them about it because that's what pushed them over the edge that day. I asked Kayla to take a minute and to think about an important lesson she's learned as a result of working with people at the end of their lives, and if and how that knowledge has changed the way she lives her own life. And her response made a lot of sense to me. You know, mortality's real. <laughs> Being, point. you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I, you kind of don't have an idea of like, oh, well, well I could die. Well, I could, you know? So I've actually really kind of reshaped some of my relationships with my family members and my friends um, because you never know. You never know. It could be any day. I've learned that it's important to take more time to slow down a little bit. So let's expand on that because I think that's a really interesting point. So when you say slow down a little bit and take more time. It can be, you know, simple things, you know, just instead of speeding a little bit to get somewhere, just slowing down a little bit, enjoying what's around you. We live in a beautiful area too. Oh, we do. Um, And I like to hike a lot around here. It's a great place to hike, me too. Yeah, Yeah. and they're they're nice because they're not too steep. You know, you get to the top and you can see the whole valley. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will hike, they'll get to the top, they'll look around for a few minutes and they'll go back down. You know, they don't stay up there very long. I like to sit up there for like a half an hour. You know, it can be Chip Ross. And I just like to go up there and I sit and I look around and just think of everything that's going on below you and mm-hmm. think about what's important to you. You know, it's really interesting because that point, um, I'm, I remember, I, I go to Bald Hill a lot. It's one of my favorite parks mm-hmm. and I love walking up there. And I remember one time I was walking on the trail and I all of a sudden I stopped and I said, Bob. You've been having this internal conversation with yourself the whole time. You've been walking on this trail. You haven't seen a thing. Will you just be quiet and just look? You know, because I was so involved with this conversation and I didn't see anything. I mean, there could have been, I don't know, apes from the trees and I wouldn't have seen them. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And that's such an interesting point. The mortality and the experience of mortality and seeing it and knowing it's real 
has really helped in a sense for you to enjoy the present moment at a... Absolutely, yeah. Interesting, interesting. I think that's a really important point. Um, any other lessons that have really, really, really struck you of being with people when they're dying, being with families when they're grieving? Yeah, you know, there's like this famous quote. I don't know, you've probably heard it. It's a hospice care quote kind of a thing. But they say that when someone's dying, it's okay to cry, but it's also okay to laugh. Um, I had a patient. Oh, gosh, he was such a sweetheart. I get there to shower him. And we're in the shower, and I'm, I'm getting his back. And he goes, well, goodness, Kayla, no one's washed my back in 90 years since I was just a boy. And just giggles and laughs. And, you know, he continued to crack jokes the majority of my visit. And, you know, he knew he was going to go soon. We didn't know, but he did. He told me, he's like, I don't think I'm going to be around much longer. And I was like, but, you know, your vital signs are great. I'm like, you're doing fine. Um, and he went shortly after that. But just being able to laugh, you know, make a small joke about something like that. I've never had someone so happy since then to have their back washed. He was just so happy that, you know, someone had been 90 years since his back had been washed. What a great perspective. <laughs> Isn't that something? You know, he's just like, it's been 90 years, man, since I had my back washed. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I know women can wash their backs, but I don't know how they do it. <laughs> That's really good. You know, it's interesting that that idea about humor, I think, is really important. Um, and being able to uh, be joyous in the in the face of something that's quite serious, in a way. Mm -hmm. and, and that resilience um, and, and that sense of humor. I knew a guy... Um, that just before he died, um, his family was there and he looked at everybody and he said, well, it's time to get rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was great. You know, everybody laughed and it was, a, it was a positive thing for everyone, I think. So if you were to look back over the cases and in the, in the, in the patients that you've worked with, is there anybody that particularly stands out for you? I think each one of my patients, there's, every once in a while something will happen and it'll remind me of like this patient or you know, I'll, I'll go hike over here and it reminds me of this patient because she told me this was her favorite place to go or this patient's favorite thing to drink was orange juice and I'm drinking orange juice right now. It's just little things here and there every once in a while that'll catch you. Um, and I know when my patients pass, I, I usually like to say goodbye, but sometimes it's unexpected when they pass. Um, but I, I have a special candle at my house and everyone knows when it's lit, that's when they have to kind of leave me alone and be quiet for a little bit. And I light this candle and I just kind of sit there and I stare at the flame and I think about how that person impacted me and how I may have impacted their life or their family's lives. That's kind of my special thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a reflective time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what I'm hearing from you is, is, is a fundamental, deep, human connection to these people in a sense that you're only with them sometimes for a very brief period of time, right? I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. it's just weeks. Sometimes I only see them once or twice before they pass away. You only see them once or twice before they pass away. Mm -hmm. and, and, you, and, and then the reflective piece, it sounds to me, is very important for you, is to be able to take some time and really just sit and reflect on the person, and you have a structure for it. So you light a candle, 
that's the time to think and reflect on that person. So that reflective piece, does that help you bring closure to it? Yes. And if you ask, I think most hospice workers have a special reflection kind of ritual that they do when they lose a patient. I've heard of a few different ones. Um, A lot of them are usually like what they can. Like I've heard quite a few people do the candle thing and that just works really well for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people write down on paper, you know, the person's initials. They'll write down their initials in something special, something special that they got to share with them. Um, But I like the candle and you sit there and think, and sometimes weird, you know, different emotions will come up, but Mm -hmm. it's nice to just take a minute and say, okay, well, I had someone, I saw someone today that I won't ever be seeing again. You know, it's, 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 it's a very important thing, I think, to be able to have the time to be reflective and put closure to something and to, and to actually make sure that that's part of the process in a way. Um, that's a really interesting point. At this point, I asked Kayla if there was anything that had come up as we were talking that she really wanted to make sure to share with people who were listening to our conversation. I think that more people should be a little bit more open-minded to hospice care. That's one thing that I've come come by quite a bit, you know, coming from a family who doesn't really know much about it and they were very closed-minded to it. They thought, well, you go to hospice and you die. (laughs) And yes, most of the time that's true. You're on hospice care and you pass away. Um, But I've gotten to explain to a lot of my, my friends what hospice care is and how special it is. You know, the hospice care is not, as far as working in hospice care, it's not for everyone, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And when you find someone who it is for, not only is that caregiver lucky, you know, the individual, but all of the people they get to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of my really good friends, his grandfather has end-stage renal disease. Um, it might be a renal cancer, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And he said that he's no longer responding to treatments and... I looked at him and I said, you're telling this to someone who works in hospice care. You realize how much, well, one, I'm going to push it because I'm a big, I believe in hospice, but, um, you know, I explained to him some of the benefits, not only for his grandfather, but for his grandmother, who's been working endlessly to take care of him. And now it's becoming too much. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, there's with hospice, most of them, if I remember correctly, all hospices are required to have volunteers, hospice aides, in-home nursing visits. Why wouldn't you want that? You know, why wouldn't you want that for your grandfather? And so my friend was actually able to spark that conversation. And his grandfather brought it up with his physician last I heard. So one thing for sure is a real sense that this is a valuable service. Yeah. And I've had other people, and I don't know if you'll want to include this or not, because it's kind of blunt. I had a friend of one of my family members come up to me and tell me that I murder people that I kill them. And I got so upset. I didn't realize that he was close-minded to it, but I was so emotional. I went home and I couldn't, I couldn't contain my emotions. You know, I was crying as I left. Um, because that's, I don't know how anyone could see it that way. I mean, I guess there's always two sides to each story, but. And in, in some ways you can imagine someone saying, no, in my mind, we fight. Yeah. We fight it until the last possible thing. We And anything short of that is wrong. 
And, and, and it's an interesting thing to think because there was, it sounded to me there was judgment in what that person said about you. Yes. I, I was very uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, you know, how would you handle if someone came up to you and, you know, said something like that about your job? Like, my job is such a big part of me. You know, I would do this by choice. I mean, I do it by choice, but I mean, I would do it for someone just because they needed someone there. If with you were them. independently wealthy, you'd still be working in hospice. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I plan after I retire to do hospice volunteering just because I think it's such a special time to be there with people. And oh, yeah. So here's a question for you, because this is something that happened to me. And, and, and when I was with my mom, and when mom died, it was, it, was, it, was, it was almost like a somebody playing a note on a horn that just got softer and softer and softer and softer and softer as she died. And then it was done. And it was sad for me to say goodbye to mom. But in a way, it was also really beautiful. In a way. It was such a peaceful, she was at peace. She was quiet. She wasn't in pain anymore. And so I was in some ways, I was almost celebratory because, you know, it was over. It was done. And and do you ever feel that when you're with somebody and they pass? Yeah. It's like they've been working, you know, if you've been there when some people die, if they're dying, especially something respiratory, it's like they're just fighting to breathe and then their breathing just slows and until it's gone. You know, the breaks just go until they're infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like this sense of relief. Like you said, it's she's comfortable. She's no longer hurting. She's not fighting anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. something as simple as breathing that we do without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Someone with something like that, they would really be fighting to breathe. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of comfort in death. You know, no matter what you believe in as far as after death, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people believe in at least comfort. I think so. That's really true. Well, this is really helpful. Is there anything else that you feel really that you'd like to say? I do. I do. There's okay. this one woman I took care of. She was such a sweetheart. Her and her partner loved each other more than than anything I've ever seen. It was adorable. And it was so genuine. Uh-huh. Um, and she was, oh, she was a hoot. She, um, and part of the health code is you have to clean between someone's toes. You have to get in there and scrub between them and dry between them um, to no help kidding. with fungal infections. Oh, yeah, sure. That would be true. Um, yeah. So she gave me a nickname. She called me Toe Girl. Because That's I'd say, great. okay... Now I got to get between your toes. I know it tickles, but we've got to do it. She put her foot out. She go, okay, toe girl. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay, toe girl. That's great. So, it, it, and there's an interesting thing. Uh, I think it's so interesting to me is that it, it sounds like with that person, you know, she had kind of a a brash sort of funny personality that just was oh, always there. It was there until the very end. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we were calling her like her nickname from back in the South. And this was right before she passed away. She just got this big smile. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, it was so, it was such a genuine smile that you kind of almost expected it to 
be followed by a big belly laugh. Oh, it was great. that big, just ear to ear. That's great. And I think that's one of my favorite things when I get to see my patients laugh. You know, Absolutely. Patients that, they love my like corny dad jokes. I have a couple patients that do. And when I, you know, I'll say, how do you tell an alligator and a crocodile apart? One says, see you in a while. The other one says, oh, come on, I'm like, see you in a while. The other one says, see you later. Oh, see you in a while, crocodile, see you later, alligator. Right, right. And, you know, tell them that joke and they'll laugh and they'll say, that's the worst joke I've ever heard. But they give this deep belly, like involuntary giggle sometimes. That's great. And I think that's, you know, it's moments like that, you know, that really make it worth it. Just getting to see someone laugh at something when, you know, you know, underneath it all, they probably aren't feeling too well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bringing them a little bit of joy. Absolutely. So what have we learned from talking with this wise young woman that can help provide an answer to the essential question that is the focus of these podcasts? Namely, what can the experience of patients near the end of their lives and the people who care for them and love them tell us about what is important in living and dying? It seems to me that there are four things that I gathered from this conversation that help answer that question. The first one, I think, is that working with people who are at the end of life can help someone to slow down and to live more in the present moment. Two, giving of yourself to other people can be an enormously satisfying and rewarding experience. Three, humor is important, even in the face of real pain and distress. And four, taking time to reflect and remember is an important part of the grieving process and can bring closure to emotionally challenging situations. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for listening to my conversation with Kayla, and I hope you will return for episode four, when we will be talking with Dr. David Cutsforth a retired family physician. For more information, visit luminahospice.org.